evidence and answers. Surveys show that nearly 80% of students who profess faith in Christ abandon their faith after four years of college. Often our students are not prepared for the intellectual challenges they encounter at the university. How can we prepare our students for the challenges they will face? You're tuned to Evidence and Answers radio broadcast with your host, Pat Zucran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the area of Christian apologetics. The defense of the Christian faith. The last time we were together, our host, Pat, began an interview with his guest, Micah Rogers. Today, let's conclude as he shares his experience on the college campus and how the challenges on campus actually strengthened his faith in Christ. The main idea of my paper said that macroevolution, meaning a change from a species to another species, is possible. Obviously, that's not true because there's no evidence for that. Nobody has been around long enough to see a change from species to another species. And the other part of evolution, microevolution, I said that is possible that it can coexist with Christianity's beliefs because it's just genetic changes over time. For example, mutations. And so in my paper, I said, I think it's possible for microevolution and Christianity to exist. However, evolution in whole is not good enough to be a worldview because it can't answer all of the big boy questions. Yes, for those of you who are listening who may be wondering about those terms, microevolution refers to changes within a species. You know, different types of dogs is an example of microevolution. Different types of birds is a type of microevolution. Macroevolution that Micah mentioned is adding new body parts and organs to make what we call macroevolutionary changes, changes above the species level to produce another type of species. Okay, so that's macroevolution. And we all agree, as Micah said, that microevolution occurs, change within species. What Darwin's theory has to prove is that through the natural process of natural selection and genetic modification or mutations, you can produce macroevolutionary change. You can produce, go from one species producing new body parts and organs and body designs to creating a different type of species which the fossil record and scientific experiments have shown is, has not been, the evidence is not there as what Micah is saying. So Micah, you pointed out micro and macro evolution that we agree on microevolution, but macro lacks the evidence. Uh, and for those of you listening to Evidence and Answers, you want more on this, listen to my interviews with Dr. Jonathan Wells and Fazali Rana and myself on Darwin's theory, okay? All right, Micah, what else did you present in your paper there? That was pretty much, but like I said earlier, opened up a whole new world with my interaction with my professor. Because after I wrote that paper, each week he would ask me to stay after class to have a discussion with me. And I think it was a very productive time. Yeah, he seems like a pretty open guy. And I like those kinds of professors, you know, where. We, we may disagree, but we can have great discussions. The openly hostile ones are kind of difficult to deal with, but the ones like what you're discussing, who seem kind of open and willing to discuss things, I kind of enjoy those professors. So tell us about your interaction with your professor there uh, over the ideas and the kind of interaction that you had. All right. So number one, what is he like? Okay, he's sort of here, opposite of a jolly good fellow. 
he is your typical like science man and he science is his life and if you say like something's wrong about it he will be very defensive about it and he likes to speak very slow and methodically not like fast and attackively and so talking with him was certainly i think for me very hard because i think i like to talk fast but he would always talk super slow and be very thought out about it and so my interaction with him happened weekly and actually we met twice a week so it happened twice a week and each time we would talk certain aspects of evolution or christianity that we would be on our mind that day and so for example one week we talked about morality and nature and then the next week we would talk about how come the bible is true and we just rotate on like different topics and throughout the week i'll be going back to my class because i would say key setting the faith that week or those weeks i would go back to my class and be like hey guys i have this professor that's talking about this you want to help me with it <laughs> and so each week we rotate on like different apologetic topics about christianity and evolution and figuring out on a mutual pursuit of the truth and figuring out which one is really ideal and which one is true. Yes, and sounds like you covered just a wide range of topics. Now, you're a 17-year-old boy talking <laughs> to someone with a PhD. I assume it was quite intimidating at first, but yes. tell us about that interaction there. I mean, were you completely overwhelmed? by the arguments and blown out of the water or just tell us about that did you feel you understood his arguments and were prepared to answer or you were completely overmatched or just tell us about that so in terms of like matching and how how i did i think i was just slightly below him in terms of his knowledge because he spent years studying he told me that he wanted to find out what was true and that's why he studied evolution because he came or he found that to be true in his life and so that's why like, he has a phd and everything i'm just a kid <laughs> i don't have a phd and so the first time i talked with him it was very intimidating because he first presented that same statistic that you did at the beginning that like 80 percent of all people who enter college who express their faith will walk away from it and what he told me was that Yes, almost all of the kids in my class who tell me that they have some faith will walk away from their faith after my class. And then my response to that was I said, well, I would walk away too if I didn't think it was true. And so I think that very first statement sort of started off my stubbornness as well in the Christianity faith. And it caught him off guard because he wasn't expecting someone so driven in their faith because none of i guess none of his students had that same drive as before well that's interesting that he knew that statistic that 80 percent of professing christians abandoned their faith and he talked a lot about how it was connected with buying in to darwin's theory and that's one things i keep saying in you know my seminars that if you buy in totally to Darwin's theory, it can have a corrosive effect upon your faith. So you guys covered a whole bunch of issues, it sounds like, and 
as you are discussing with him, of course, none of us are going to know as much as our professor. So it must have been intimidating. But did your confidence grow as you continued to dialogue and began to understand his arguments and research things about your Christian faith? Or did you find yourself being shaken and begin to really start doubting your faith? Which way did it go for you? Let's see. So in the beginning, whenever it was like my turn to ask him questions, it was kind of a struggle to figure out what the good questions were to ask because in our discussions with our teacher in my apologetics class, like she already knew like what good questions to ask, what, what the answers were, and sort of how to combat. But when it was just me and the professor, it sort of got a little bit intimidating because I was like, oh no, I don't have this like backup, I guess, case of evidence that I have. It's just me. And so when it was my turn to ask him questions, it was hard to find out, like I said earlier, what questions to ask. But when it was his turn to ask me questions, they were all the basic questions that you ever you all you always learn in all of your apologetics classes. Like, Micah, can you give me evidence for the resurrection of Jesus? Or it was, how can the Bible be trusted if it's been translated so many times? Like, I took a speech and debate competition, and one of the categories for speech is apologetics. And in that category, there are lots of questions that someone could ask you in your speech round, and that is one of them. And over time, it just becomes like a generic question that everybody knows the answer to. But when someone asks that question in like hopes of figuring out like the real nitty gritty of why it's true, then it sort of like changes your entire perspective when that question actually is relied upon. When every every time he would ask a question, it was extremely, I guess, easy to answer because I had already thought about the answer for a long time. Yeah, I think that's a key right there that you mentioned. A lot of the attacks that come upon Christianity from my atheist professor colleagues and others, I find quite easy to answer. It's either misunderstandings of biblical passages, attacking Christianity as anti-women or a hateful kind of religion, and they've really misunderstood the passages, or that they really hadn't read the Bible. I mean, they, they know bits and pieces here, but once you explain the context, you realize they've misunderstood the passage, or they just don't know the evidences that are there, the archaeological discoveries that confirm the Bible, the record of prophecy, and how science and the Bible actually go together very nicely, and they've just never heard that. And so, like you stated, I don't find a lot of their objections very difficult. And that's been my experience, and it seems like that was your experience uh, as well. If you've got a basic understanding of apologetics and the Christian worldview, you're well-equipped to take on almost any challenge that would come from almost anybody there on the university campus, including those well-scholared and studied professors. I think one of the biggest day where we had the biggest discussion was when we discussed, I guess, the apologetics words for it would be the problem of evil. And that one is you have to be careful about that question because oftentimes it's not fueled by a sort of debate point, but rather a why has this happened to me sort of question. And that day, 
was you have to be super careful about that because there's lots of emotion that drives that question. Yeah, so tell us a little bit about how that discussion went on God and the problem <laughs> of evil because that tends to be the biggest or most popular argument atheists present against Christianity. Almost all of atheists that I've had a discussion with, I would say 99% bring up that problem, God and problem of evil. And that's their main argument against Christianity. So tell us a little bit of how that discussion went. Yeah. So one helpful tip that I learned from this apologetics conference I went to, when you always ask the question, why that question? Whenever someone asks any question to you. And so you always say, why that question? Because oftentimes there's lots of emotion that is held behind that question. And so one example is this apologist went to like this hair salon and he had just finished all of his like finals for his apologetics classes. And he was like ready to take any question that anybody gave to him. And so his hair salon person was like, oh, I have a question for you. And then it was like, why is there evil and suffering in this world? And this apologist just finishing finals was like, Oh my gosh, I'm so ready for this question. And so he gave like the whole battery. Boom, C.S. Lewis says you can't know evil without good. And because there's good, there has to be a God. And so I guess after he like went on and on about that, after his haircut, he looked like behind him and his person was crying. And he was like, why are you crying? She said, I didn't ask that question to know why. I asked that question to know like, because my grandpa just died. And so... Oftentimes, it's more an emotional question than a logical one. And so I had to be very wary of that whenever, when, when we first started talking about it. So back in the room with my professor, he asked me that question. And the very first thing I said was, why that question? And he says, well, I think it's a very big question in the world of apologetics. And it's what has puzzled me for a long time. And so I said, well, what can we learn from evil that it tells us? And I sort of tried to guide him on this thought train through questions in order to show him that God cares for him. But it was really hard because he kept refusing to believe that there was like this higher being that cared for him. I don't know why, but it was hard for him to fathom that someone that was like divine cared for my professor it was just hard for him to come to terms with that yes well so it sounds like you had a series of discussions with him on a whole lot of issues tell us how it ended so it ended with us talking just normal and then all of a sudden we both just like switched and was just like talking about our daily lives. Like, oh, how are you doing in general? We are like, oh, how are you doing in general? I'm doing great, how are you? And then we were like, well, both sisters are over and we don't really have a reason to like meet anymore. So we were just like, I hope you have like the best days now. But I said, we remember to think about the things we talked about. He was like, I'll think about it. I was like, good enough for me. <laughs> That's basically how it ended. We came off in good terms, both, I guess, dwelling on what we both talked about, thinking about them. Yeah, you know, and that's the kind of approach I think is a model for Christians. You know, instead of being in class and being hostile back at the professor and challenging him, 
in front of the students and all that. Professors don't like that. They like to be asked questions. You know, I certainly like it, but I don't like it if a student's kind of rude to me and wanting to show me up in front of the class and he's there every day to, to do that to me. I really don't like that. But I think being able to build a relationship and have great discussions with the professor after class, over coffee, I think that's just ideal. And to have a professor that's open and willing to discuss and engage like that is great. Didn't he say something significant to you at near the end of your discussion? Most Christians he dialogues with are not able to intelligently interact with him. What was his response towards you? Well, he was, I want to say, taken aback on like how different I was from the other people he talked about because he would often bring up something and then be like, I didn't expect you to answer in that way. And then it was like, it's good to be able to surprise him with knowledge. And oftentimes, I guess he, in general, professors will think like negatively about you and be like, he won't be able to answer this and I'll be able to stump him this way. But if you're able to provide an answer that he may might have never heard before, then it will be a good stepping stone for you to be able to be on your way to better conversing with him or whoever you're talking about. Yeah. So as a result of your dialogue with your professor and taking his classes, was your faith increased? Was your confidence in a good way, not in a cocky, arrogant way, but was your (laughs) faith, confidence in your faith increased or was it shaken? How did it affect your faith? I would say that I definitely found out a lot of like compelling bits of evidence against Christianity, but all that to say, after reading about them, I could be like, oh, well, that's not actually against Christianity, that's for Christianity. And then there were another aspect of, or benefit of talking with him, was just realizing how hopeless someone like him could be, and how hopeful I could be. And so I would suggest in general, my faith and hope increased greatly after talking with my professor. Yeah, and that's the experience of a lot of our students who get trained in Christian worldview and apologetics. When they actually dialogue with someone from a different worldview, whether it be pantheism, you know, Hinduism, New Age, or whatever, or atheism, and they actually enter into a kind of a dialogue or take these classes and come in well-prepared and actually see that their faith can stand up to the challenges and that their faith actually has the power of the evidence behind it. And that many of these other worldviews, you get past the big words, you know, and the terminologies there, and you kind of really understand the basic argument there, and you realize it's kind of a paper wall. It may be intimidating because a lot of people hold to it, and a lot of degree professors hold to it, but you understand the basic argument, and you realize, oh, the evidence isn't as powerful or as intimidating as it was presented when you actually start really investigating it and see how it compares with the evidence for your faith in Christ. So many of our students who are prepared can go into a classroom where the professor is presenting ideas contrary to faith in Christ, learn how to really analyze and understand it and know the evidence to counter it and actually increases your faith when you realize it can really stand up to the challenges. You're saying that's what you found in 
this particular class uh, in these biology classes that you took, right? Yeah, it really boosted my confidence. I thought I could talk with a guy with a PhD. I could probably talk with anybody off the street. Yeah, because one of the things I tell students is I'm not a very smart person, but if you have the truth, it's really hard to defeat the truth. And Christianity is indeed true. And if it is true, then it can stand up to almost any challenge that comes upon it. And it seems like that's what you discovered. Yeah. Right. Well, my guys, we close the show. Then what advice would you give to other Christian students who are, you know, studying some of them in Christian schools, so they haven't really faced the challenges yet. But there are those in the public schools who are facing the challenges already, but probably not as formidable as what they're going to face uh, in the collegiate arena. So what advice would you give to your other fellow students out there? I, this is like one of the only things I wrote down for the interview. So I have three things. The first is what we were like literally just talking about, of how Christianity is true. And because it's true, or how do we know it's true? We can go off the, this is what I like to use, the correspondence theory of truth. If there's a statement and it reflects what the world says, it must be true. For example, if I say it's raining outside, and we look outside and it's raining, then that statement is true. So we've done the same thing with Christianity. We've got its principles. We've got what it's recorded in the Bible. And we looked at what the world has, and it matches that perfectly. And it is true based off what we learned, evidently, archaeologically, historically, and prophetically. And with that, we can go about ourselves walking as if it is true. And like we were saying earlier, if it is true, it can stand the test of everything including time and so that would lead into my second piece of advice would be don't be afraid to talk to anybody and don't be afraid to i guess be i guess wrong because that just means you gotta go back and learn something and it's better for you and then the last piece of advice would be always have compassion first whenever you're talking with someone because oftentimes it is hard to have an intellectual conversation with someone who is only emotionally driven and you end up breaking your relationship with them rather than making a new one. And so all in all, Christianity is true. Don't be afraid about the truth. Don't be afraid to spread the truth. And number three, always have compassion first doing it and you'll be well on your way. Oh, that's fantastic. You know, that's, uh, some of the best advice, better advice than some of my top guests on this show. <laughs> and I've had the top guys, you know, Greg Kokel, <laughs> Willem Lane Craig. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and all these guys. And that's, that's some of the best advice I have heard. Well, you've been listening to our interview with Micah Rogers. He's a 17-year-old student there taking courses at the community college and sharing some of his experience and just reinforcing what we have been sharing here at Evidence and Answers. The statistics show that 80% of students who profess Christ abandon their faith after four years of college. And one of the reasons Evidence and Answers exists is to turn the tide on those statistics. And as Micah shared, if you're equipped and ready, you know, in the Christian worldview and in apologetics, the collegiate arena is not a time that should shatter your faith, but instead, if you go in equipped and prepared, it's actually a time that could really strengthen 
your faith in Christ as you see that it can stand up to the challenges that are raised against it there on the collegiate campus. And it actually provides the best answers to the big questions of life, and it can stand up to some of the best challenges presented against it there on the university campus. Well, Micah, thanks for being a guest with us and sharing your story here on Evidence and Answers. Of course. Thanks for having me. We've run out of time. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers radio broadcast. We hope you enjoyed today's show. You'll find we have a wide variety of different topics that will make for an incredible conference series. So if you would like Pat to speak at your church, your Bible study, or even schedule an apologetics conference at your church or location, give him a call in Hawaii. That number is 483-0586. Or you may contact him through the Evidence and Answers website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Be sure to use our search engine for available resources, everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism, including articles and additional audio for you to listen to or download. Be sure to share our website with those around you. To keep quality broadcast like Pat's on the air, we rely on generous support from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate, head on over to our website. Once again, that's evidenceandanswers.org. And you may do so right there online. Evidence and Answers would like to thank one of our sponsors, the Honolulu Christian Church. If you don't have a home church and are looking for a great place to connect and grow in Christ, check out the Honolulu Christian Church. For service times, log on at honoluluchristian.org. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence and Answers with Pat Zuckerberg.